Welcome back to the Meet Us in Paris podcast. I am Kristen, and this is the podcast about all things travel, be it food, what to pack for your next trip, or general travel fun. Zen is here too, though. Zen. Hey, Hi. Lunar New <laughs> Year. Oh, yeah, Year of the Rabbit. Hop, hop, hop. Yeah, if you're um, Vietnamese, it's. <laughs> oh, it's I, cat. I just learned this myself. It's the Year of the Cat. Yeah. Yes, I love that. Yeah. Um, well, according to the non-Vietnamese one, I think the cat is supposed to be, um, or not the cat, the rabbit is supposed to be kind of a docile year, calm and hopeful. So, you know what? I thought what I had read was that um, the Vietnamese, I guess the word for rabbit is very similar to the sound of the word cat in Vietnamese. Oh. So all the traits of the rabbit, they applied it to the, um, it's applied to the, what do you call it? Um, it's applied the to the cat. Yeah. Okay. So. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, cats, you know, they like to nap a lot. They're very low energy. <laughs> so I guess we can use that after you're the tiger. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so. All right, well, if you were listening in, last week we officially launched a new podcast segment called Passport to Trivia, where we take you on a journey around the world to explore the most interesting and obscure facts about international travel. Last week, we inadvertently highlighted the UK, and we had such a fun <laughs> time that we decided to bring it back again, but we're putting the spotlight on Japan. So without further ado, welcome to Japanese Travel Trivia, your ultimate guide to the hidden gems and unique experiences of Japan. From the bustling streets of Tokyo to the tranquil temples of Kyoto, we'll take you on a journey through the heart of this fascinating country. Today, we'll delve into different aspects of Japanese culture, history, and customs, uncovering fascinating facts and trivia that you won't find in your average travel guide. So, whether you're planning a trip to Japan or just want to learn more about this beautiful country, join us and discover the hidden secrets of Japan. But before we continue on our journey through the Japan, let's take a quick break from our sponsor. <laughs> when you look back upon your life and you see all the things you achieved, certainly none of them started with inaction. And when you're planning for your next career journey, find us, the University of California, Irvine. We've over 80 convenient online certificates to help you navigate the future, and we're the perfect Sherpa for your next big adventure. Find us at ce.uci.edu. All right. <clears throat> I think, I think, no, no, last time I went first, but I'll go first again. Well, so, you know, okay, go. Oh, no. <laughs> What were you going to say? Go ahead. I was going to say the very first thing that I like wanted to mention that was kind of surprising to me is, and you probably know this, Ed, but the word for Japan in Japanese. Well, no, what is it? Um, there's actually two, but it's Nippon or Nihon. Oh. So I always find that fascinating when the words for the country are so vastly different in their language because it's like, how did we get that? Because normally I feel like you're taking the name from them. <laughs> um, but yes, to, to say um, Japan in Japanese, it would be Nihon or Nippon, um, which I do believe um, <clears throat> it refers to like the land of the rising sun. 
Oh, well, I mean, so. I've heard that, but I didn't know that's that's what Nippon meant. So, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I guess there's there might be the same kanji or different kanji, but they're pronounced differently. Um, I get a little confused at that point, but okay. The kanji for Nihon literally means origin of the sun. Nice. So I thought that was fun to start out with because that's very surprising to me. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, your first it's, <clears throat> the pronunciation, you know, what's very interesting, and I'll ha I have to ask my friend again, but one of my friends um, opens up opens up businesses um, internationally. So, or actually, he helps American businesses find new markets internationally. Hmm. And I forget what country it is in the Middle East, but they were talking about when they um, when you're in a business um, setting, you pronounce the country one way. But for some reason, whenever the State Department shows up, they pronounce it something completely different. And the right. State Department doesn't pronounce it. They pronounce it in one manner. And then the Americans pronounce I mean, like, I'm sorry, businessmen pronounce it in a different. And it's not considered offensive. You know, both they the, the locals consider both of them acceptable. I think the State Department actually is a little bit closer to the correct pronunciation. But... Mm -hmm. I just thought, you know what? I think it was actually maybe Qatar or something like that. So okay. I just thought, um, but <clears throat> I'll have to find out. But it's interesting to hear that just different pronunciations of the same word, you know. But are are you interested in in learning about the etymology of why we refer to it as Japan? Because I just found it in a few clicks. Oh, go! Since you started that, I mean, I think that's. I know. I didn't mean for to turn into this, but. Um, Okay, so in Japanese, Nippon, it has two characters, um, and the first one means sun um, or day, and the second one represents origin. So Chinese people called it so because um, Japan is located in the east and is literally in the direction where the sun rises. Um, that is why Japan is sometimes called the country of the rising sun. In modern Chinese, these two characters is pronounced, it looks like, riben. Reben, Mandarin Chinese pronunciation. However, and very interestingly, in the days of the explorer Marco Polo, and even nowadays, in the southern part of China, these characters were pronounced as Jipang or Zupang. And he called Japan Zipang because people in the south part of China told him about the country of the rising sun, and that was the term that they referred to it as. So, Marco Polo brought back the word for Japan as Zipang to the Western huh. world. That is kind of how it's, it started, and then it has obviously um, evolved into being Japan. Cool. Well, anyway. while you were looking that up, even though we're supposed to be talking <laughs> about Japan, I was correct. I looked it up. Um, mm -hmm. Business people pronounce Qatar, Qatar, but mm -hmm. the State Department pronounces it something closer to Qatar. Gutter, almost or like, like gutter. Yeah, so gutter, gutter. Yeah. But I think gutter um, is actually closer to the correct pronunciation. Okay, I so that's it. why the State Department uses it that way. Hmm. <clears throat> okay, onto our facts. <laughs> yeah, onto the facts. Okay, so the one thing that if you've ever been in Japan, you will notice there are 
vending machines every mm. freaking where. My understanding is the part of the reason why they have so many vending machines is the type of population they have is that every that there's not enough people aging population to man lots of convenience stores. So therefore, vending machines take place of uh, of, of convenience stores in some ways. So hmm. they can be found, if you're ever going down the street, you can find them every street corner. They're down every alley. They, um, I just think they're, it's just really, really fun to look into them. They have a wide variety of products. Um, you see things from, you know, we think of this like a cold drink and maybe potato chips, but they'll have cold drinks They'll have warm drinks. Um, they have all sorts of things like that. So some of the more particular items, not necessarily common. Um, they actually have vending machines that have live lobsters in them. What? Um, I never saw those. <laughs> yeah. Actually, you know what? I've seen a couple of them brought to the United States. So wow. there used to be a restaurant in I think it's Costa Mesa called Sumo Restaurant. And it was a vending machine, but it had it was a claw machine. You know, like those toys where you pick up like a teddy bear? Uh, yeah. But it was just... actually a pool of water and you would grab the grab the lobster and then deposit it and they would serve it to you if wow. you wanted. <clears throat> so um another thing is that I've seen um they they have fresh eggs another one that I thought was very interesting is they sold bananas in a vending machine okay um, you got to get through those quick <laughs> yeah 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 and and beyond beyond that they have things like electronics technology items you know phone chargers headphones you know those types of things um, even some higher more expensive things um they're also um one of my favorite vending machine is um what they call capsule toys or gotcha gotcha oh gotchas yes i love the yes. gotchas <laughs> obsessed with them oh, they're they're that's just so amazing they're like three dollars right but the things that you get out of them are a lot yeah, of you they're not like cool stuff. yeah like if you want pokemon or figurines or they have really higher end kind of small toys in them and mm -hmm. the thing is sometimes you'll i've seen a row of like a hundred of them all with yeah, different unique kind of toys in them yeah in Akihabara, they're everywhere yeah exactly so the anime district yes and some of them oh have collectible toys so like for some reason they have a big love of lilo and stitch i've seen a lot of those toys there <laughs> but they'll they'll be like 10 different stitches so they're collectible so you're trying to get 10 different figurines oh, right yeah. right right yeah and if you, I can't remember the website, but go check this out. Vending, you'll you'll be there's pit, there's this one guy who actually documents essentially the lonely machines, vending machines in Japan, and you'll you'll be going down a country road, and there will be a streetlight, and under one streetlight, you will see one vending machine and he takes pictures of these things in the night with you know like a foot of snow on top of them and all lit up in the middle of you know in the middle of nowhere and there's some of the coolest photos you've ever seen um yeah, yeah so um what was the and also the, i it, there's also some uh on youtube there's something called a big story there's one guy who actually puts fresh rice curry in it and his he every day makes rice curry a couple times a day puts it into the vending machine but the rice comes from his rice paddy which is adjacent to the vending machine okay so 
yeah, I mean, just amazing. So if you're okay, in Japan, so, you have to look these up. Oh, I'm sorry. So? Oh, no, I mean, you wouldn't even have to look them up. You would just see them everywhere. But I, I would have to look up the lobster one because I never saw that. But I was going to say, I don't think a lobster vending machine would be so popular in the U.S., but we could really stand to have more hot drink vending machines. Right. Actually, I think they would be popular. I would buy from them. Yeah, because they, they sell canned coffee. Yeah. Stuff like yeah canned yeah. coffees and canned teas that are warm, and they're just wonderful. I really like them. Yeah. So And then hot foods. They got the ones that actually serve hot foods, too. So oh. I don't know how that works. All right. So. Yeah. Oh, it's been a while since I've enjoyed the joys of Japanese vending machines. I, they're just so much fun. Oh, and there's like a strange statistic for every 10 Japanese citizens, there's one vending machine. Oh, wow. Can you imagine that? That is wild. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I've got a really interesting one that I'm like, was this true? I don't remember this, but apparently it was. Um, do you know the colors of the traffic lights in Japan? Do not like ours. I no. don't. I didn't drive when I was there. I was mostly in the bus or a taxi. So Same. I don't but think I, I paid pass. close attention. I mean, I was on streets that had lights. I didn't notice <clears> this. <throat> I don't think it's every single one. We'll get into some details, but it does seem like in the vast majority of the world, all of our traffic lights are green, yellow, and red. That is by far the most common um, combination that you're going to see. However, Japan favors over green blue traffic lights. So, so you would have red, yellow, blue instead? Blue. Yes. Apparently. However, I'm not sure if it's all of them, but let me read this little explanation that I found. They so, forgot the yellow dye. <laughs> could have been, yeah, they didn't mix it. They didn't mix it just right. But um, the question was, why are traffic lights green, yellow, and red? And so um, the explanation here is that red is the simplest. Red has the longest wavelength of any color on the spectrum of visible light and as such is easier to see from far away than other colors. So translation, red is the most vibrant, easiest to see color. So it's very easy to use as a stop signal. Um, trains originally used a white light to mean go, but engineers had a harder time telling them apart from the lights of stars and other lanterns. Um, so they ended up taking green instead. Um, yellow was the original choice for stop signs because it was easier to see than red at night. But as reflective paint, streetlights, and headlights proliferated, the signs were changed over to red. And yellow huh. is the second easiest color to see from a distance, so it was added as the caution signal in traffic lights. However, Japan favors blue traffic lights. So supposedly, if you drive around Japan long enough, you'll probably run into one of the country's mythical blue traffic lights. So, so not all of them are blue. Not all of them are blue. Um, it's possible maybe that they like all were at one time, but they haven't all got changed over to green, maybe because it's more universal. Huh. I'm not totally sure. But um, elsewhere around the island, you'll find go signals that are decidedly teal, turquoise, and aqua. Um, the 
answer is not in the wiring, it's in the Japanese language. So apparently, hundreds of years ago, the Japanese language included words for only four basic colors, which by the way, as a linguist, I can tell you this is very common. There are some languages that literally only have words for black and white. Um, so it's very common oh. that their color spectrum isn't the same. So uh, years ago, Japanese, hundreds of years ago, the Japanese language only included words for black, white, red, and blue. If you wanted to describe something green, you'd use the word for blue. Um, and that system worked well enough until roughly the end of the first millennium when the word midori, which originally meant sprout, began showing up in writing to describe what we know is green. So it used to be the word for blue you would use for blue and green. Um, you know, I had heard... Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I had heard English didn't originally have the word orange, and it was originally called yellow red or reddish yellow or yellowish red. Mm -hmm. so. uh, I believe it's very possible. And then it's possible that we got the fruit and then named the color after it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so I the fruit. I don't remember for don't sure, know. but the hell knows? that's common. Mm -hmm. That's common with languages. So, right. Um, even when Midori. Um, was showing up, it was still considered a shade of blue. So it might have been like saying like green blue, I guess, um, or like light blue or something. So um, the, the switch over by now trying to distinguish between blue and this new Midori had lasting effects in Japan. So today you'll still see green things that are labeled as blue. So a fruit vendor might sell you an Eoringo, which is, means blue apple only to find out that it's a green apple. Um, green bamboos are called eodake, which means blue bamboos. Um, and an inexperienced employee could be described as green in America, may be described as eonisai, meaning a blue two-year-old. And then that brings cool. you to the traffic lights. Yeah. So you've got to look out and see if you can spot a blue traffic light when you're in Japan. Now I'm going to have to go look. And and know that it's simply due to the language, which is so right, interesting right. for me as a linguist. <laughs> nice. Yeah. All right. The next one I've mentioned in, before, but I'll, I'm going to say it again and go into more detail, is talking about Japan's fascination with Kit Kats. <laughs> oh, this is yes. one of my fascinations. <laughs> well, we just had a colleague come back from Japan and bring us lots of fun Kit Kats. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. if you're familiar with Kit Kats, or you're not familiar with Kit Kats, it is a popular chocolate-covered wafer bar. Um, they originated in the United Kingdom. I, I currently, they're uh, maybe they started. I think they're owned by Nestle. But however, you can in Japan, they have taken it to a different level. They are a beloved treat, and Ooh, they have. Oh, right. Sorry. Nestle is the Hershey company. Yes, it's all Nestle. Sorry, continue. Okay, okay. And and um, they are, uh, well, thank you for fact-checking me. I, I just yeah, kind of recalled it that way. Yeah. <laughs> um, they, they are, um, the reason why they're so unique in Japan is that in the United States, you get chocolate Kit Kats. And you might get dark chocolate Kit Kats on occasion. In Japan, they have hundreds of different flavors and quite often limited edition flavors and mm. they even have regional flavors that are not part of 
another you cannot if you're in the southern part of uh japan there is a regional flavor that you cannot get when you're in the northern part of japan See, and they know so, how to market <laughs> yeah they really know how to market yeah <laughs> yeah what would california's um Kit Kat tastes like. I mean, like, would that be oranges? Uh, an orange Kit Kat? I, I don't know. Maybe, Maybe like a salty ocean Kit Kat, like a sea salt Kit Kat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't oh, know. Avocado, avocado. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't mind like an almond Kit Kat. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, like, if yeah. you're in Texas, it would have to taste like barbecue or something. Oh, barbecue! <laughs> oh, they need to do this for us. Yeah, yeah, they do. So, but anyways, I digress. They've been doing all sorts of different flavors. Um, I've seen things on sake. I've seen lemon. I've seen what was the weird one I recently? Uh, the butter flavored. They have hazelnut oh, wow. flavor all over the green soy sauce. Is a really popular one, the matcha flavor. Yes, those are great and usually readily available. Um, mm -hmm. Green tea, strawberry, wasabi, um, soy sauce. Bean? I've heard. Yeah, red oh, beans. Yeah, Red yeah, bean. yeah, yeah. So why were why did they achieve a certain popularity? Was apparently some of the marketers in Japan found out that lots of parents were buying Kit Kats at a certain time of year or certain times. And they're like, why is there a surge of Kit Kats? And apparently it was being bought by parents to give to their children. And hmm. why were they giving them to their children at certain times of year is because Kit Kat sounds similar to a word, and I'm going to butcher this as always, it's kitukatsu in Japanese, which means surely win. And parents would give it to their kids before they took an exam. Oh, yeah, that's nice. Yeah, or sports teams. So it's the yeah. Kit Kat sounds like Kitukatsu, which means surely wins. So if you're going to play in a baseball game or if you're going to take an exam, it was kind of a good luck charm that you're going to do well. And then, of course, mm -hmm. they were very aggressive about their packaging. Um, they made holiday ones. Um, if you're in the airport, they they always have dozens and dozens of flavors. Um, so... That's one of the things I've always found fascinating about Kit Kats. Whenever I leave Japan, really? I always bring a bunch of Kit Kats back, um, just because there's so many different flavors and it's and and they have dedicated Kit Kat stores in Japan. However, my friend just came back, and she said they were closed. So I don't oh, know. No. Um, yeah, but they had one in the train station, and they had one in Akihabara, and there's like there was at least three or four. And I I hope that they're still around when I go back or they were just temporarily closed. Yeah, I hope so too. Well, that's fun. Um, kind of on their subject of food. Um, do you know, <laughs> do you know what My shape their watermelons are? I know where you're going with this, but <laughs> I think you still can get round ones, but they, I know they sell kind of square square right. ones their watermelons <clears throat> are cubes essentially um which is it looks so weird but i don't really think i don't think there's a difference like as far as the quality or anything and do you know why they make them that shape i am going to guess based off of my <laughs> packaging knowledge is that you can pack you can stack them in 
ship them easier. Is that exactly. right? That's it. It's just easier for them to stack and store. Um, I mean, I, I found this research. Sorry, and I, I ruined it. <laughs> no, no, that's good. I mean, that's, it was just as simple as that. And I find that even interesting because I feel like if you were to come across these in Japan, you would be like, is this a different strain of like watermelons? Is this a different breed or whatever? Like what is going on? Why are they um, square all of that? And the simple answer is just that it's easier for them to stack and store. And honestly, it's probably easier to transport even for you if you're buying it and putting it in your car and all that other stuff. So it doesn't roll when you're driving down the street in the backseat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it makes me wonder what they might think of our round ones. Like, oh my gosh, how inconvenient. It's like a balloon. Um, but I just, I have an international like- story that goes with packaging. Oh, okay. I, so yeah, I'm I got, done with that. well, I'm going to, I'm going to do one story that's not international, but like if, I don't know if you guys have Costco's near you, but used to be Costco used to sell lots of candies or whatever in round plastic bins or peanuts mm-hmm. and kind of, and then they squared them out. And it's the reason why is because when they square them out, it takes out that space in between all the containers and they could ship something like 5% more peanuts or whatever on the same truck and it saved money. So they forced all their manufacturers to make square unit peanut plastic containers so they could ship 5% more and save money. But I have a second story was in, I believe it was in Africa, they were having a difficult time getting drugs to certain parts of the country and the doctors were trying to figure this out people were trying well how do we get medicine down there and mm-hmm. um and, or maybe it was something as simple as like cleaning water <clears throat> and they're like well they ha- don't have supply chains and then whatever 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 and so they went down there and they noticed one thing that showed up everywhere and it was bottles of coca-cola hmm and so these Coca, because Coca-Cola owned their own trucks and they would regularly come in. And so they were looking at us like, wait, no other supply chain is getting down to these, down to these parts of the, but Coca-Cola is coming down there. And then they looked at the containers, you know, like the packaging where they have all the bottles and you know, in between four bottles, you got that space that's in between there, right? There's right. an empty space. They worked with Coca-Cola to create certain, types of medical packaging and i'll have to look at well just google it that mm-hmm. fit in between those four bottles and oh Coca-Cola wow helped them ship and distribute it throughout the country that way wow. so Very there ingenious. you go like yeah it. random story i'm yeah. fil- filled with okay. these um okay. i appreciate it last one i have for the day is something called euro euro carrara and what this is, okay. is in Japan, there's something in Japan, they call them laid back characters, but essentially we know them as mascots. And when you're <laughs> in Japan, everything seems to have a mascot. Yes. You go, <clears throat> you go, the toy store has their own mascot. The museums have their own mascot. The mm-hmm. boat has their own mascot. Everything has a mascot. And apparently it began in the early, and and the thing is you always want to have your picture taken next to them. And it started in the (laughs) 2000s. Yeah. When the local governments began creating mascots to promote tourism and boost community spirit. 
and they were designed to be cute, approachable, and appealing to both children and adults. So they became more and more popular, and then they started to invade the advertising and marketing. Um, and, and that's it. It's just, you know, there's something cute to associate with a product or a destination mm -hmm. or service. And also some of them are regional. And most recently I had heard they were, some of them are based off, I forget, yokai, which are based off of spirits. Mm -hmm. And most recently during the COVID pandemic, they found this one yokai. I forget what it exactly was, but it was encouraging people to be safe and wear masks and stuff like that. So they even mm -hmm. had a almost a COVID mascot to promote safety. That so makes there you sense. go. Yep. I like it. Okay. It's easy to spot too when you're out anywhere. <laughs> They're everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so this is some little history, which I found was very interesting. I have two more facts. They're, they're, they're quick, but from the 1630s to 1853, Japan exercised a strict isolationist policy known as Sakoku or closed country which is one of the most interesting facts about Japan. The Tokugawa government, which had recently united Japan, was wary of Western missionaries also bringing colonization. So the country actually closed its doors, except to their neighbors, Korea and China, and except to one Western power. Do you know which Western power was allowed to have contact with Japan during that time? I For don't know. Years. Don't it know. was the Dutch. I was going to say, it's got to be the Dutch. Sorry. Dutch, right? Because they had a <clears throat> Taiwan and everything I know. But the Dutch were allowed to trade with Japan during its isolation. Uh, for some reason or another, I wasn't able to find some answer. Foreign trade continued with the Netherlands, despite being the closed country, for their 220 years of isolation. Um, they were only allowed one tiny little port to live in called De uh, Dejima um, in modern day Nagasaki. So that's interesting. And what's weird is this could exist and I'm not aware of it, but I don't know of a very strong alliance between like Japan and Netherlands that's continued all this time, but maybe, maybe they still have a really great friendship, but that's, I wonder what they had that was still so great <laughs> that they wouldn't close their doors. I don't know. Maybe they weren't aggressive with their missionary work or something. I don't know. Nice. Um, so that's one. Um, also, this last one. Do you know how many seasons there are in Japan? There's more than four seasons? Than I four didn't know. Seasons. Or under four seasons? No. How many? Okay, there's more. So... It goes up to 72 micro seasons. And so, they recognize all of them? I think in some way or another. So um, fun fact, I'm actually currently reading in my free time a book. Um, it's very popular, The Geisha of Guion, but it's like an autobiography of a real geisha. And she happened to mention, the. I think she mentioned um, 24 seasons of Japan. And I was like, what? Because... As you know, like the geisha artwork, they're, the way they get dressed in their kimonos are so intricate and they are attuned to, they would be recognizing the 24 seasons. So whatever she was wearing would reflect 
what was going on, you know, that month or that season and stuff. So there's so much nuance in there. So I was, I was like, is this real? And so I was Googling it and I found they have up to 72 micro seasons. And so it's essentially, I mean, more than one a week. Um, right. I was going to say that's a lot of clothes. Right. So for instance, so there's like kind of this umbrella term of it looks like Rishun, which means beginning of spring. So that's like one of the 24 seasons. And then it's divided up into these micro seasons where February 4 to 8, um, Harukaze Koryotoku, which translates to the east wind melts the ice. And then February 9 to 13 is bush warblers start singing in the mountains. February 14th to 18th, fish emerge from the ice. And then you get your next um, umbrella season, which is rainwater. So they're essentially just naming exactly what's happening, but they really recognize it as like a micro season. Interesting. Yeah, I feel like that's a lot to memorize. Um, But for instance, my I was born my season. I was born in first first peach blossoms, which sounds so much more beautiful than just spring. (laughs) It's making me. It kind of reminds me, like you know, I don't know if it's true, but like Eskimos have a hundred words for snow. Snow, right? You know, for different textures and call, you know, like wetness or whatever, and then micro seasons in japan so who knew yeah so up to 72 so that it's you know easy to look up um i don't know how much they reference these and i even wonder now with like you know they say that our seasons don't align anymore like the zodiac doesn't even align all this stuff so and with climate change i wonder if these seasons like aren't even true so you're saying like east wind melts the ice meanwhile it's snowing and hailing or something you know (laughs) like it might not feel the same anymore. But there you go. Interesting. Yeah. So there's lots of Japan funtivities. Yep. Trivia. So um, I guess that wraps that up. So thank you for tuning in to our Passport to Trivia Japan version. Um, we hope that you guys had as much fun as we did. What do you think? Contact us on our social media channels where you can find photos of our adventures from around the world, interesting articles, and more. Also, if you're newer to our podcast, you can check out some of our travel guides on Washington, D.C., Poland, Barcelona, and Southern California, just to name a few. Meet Us in Paris is a University of California, Irvine Division of Continuing Education Production. If you need a career boost, looking to increase your workplace knowledge, or seeking a new profession, check them out at ce.uci.edu for their professional courses. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye. Sayonara.